You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to Love Talk Live. I am Jamie Bronstein, and I have with me today Eileen Robertson-Hamra. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Um, I just, I know that our viewers are in store for such a beautiful, beautiful show today. Eileen has written a beautiful book called Time to Fly, Life and Love After Loss. And she's going to talk, she's going to tell us all about her inspiration for that story and just what it's like going through life after, life and love after loss. So. I'm going to first read to you guys a little bit about Eileen, and then we'll get into the show. So, reality, as Eileen Robertson Hammer perceived it, instantaneously altered the moment authorities confirmed that the plane her husband was piloting had crashed and he had not survived. In the process of mourning her loss, with three young children in tow, where Eileen wandered and landed was nothing short of miraculous. Between the valleys of grief and the peaks of hope, she discovered that keeping promises to those that have left this world is a lifelong act, and honoring one love does not mean foregoing the freedom and joy that is found in reopening your heart, trusting in new love, and expanding your definition of family. Her book, Time to Fly, shares her story, her insights, and more. So, Eileen, welcome. First of all, I just, I'd love to hear from you. You're a little bit about your story. Um, can you tell us what happened in your life that made you want to write this book? Okay, so um, in December 2011, I was actually living in Southern California at the time in Huntington Beach, and we had gone back east to visit my family for the holidays, and Brian, was uh, my late husband, was going to join us. And it was three days before Christmas, and um, it was a twin-engine plane in his right engine failed and he didn't survive. And I had a eight-year-old, a seven-year-old and a um, eight, seven and four-year-old at the time. And, um, you know, it was tragic. It was awful. It was the worst thing I'd ever been through. And, um, but very shortly after it happened, there was like these miracles that showed up. I always like to tell people um, the, the one that people are like, really that happened. Um, like he was piloting this plane and uh, like the day after we we're trying to figure out how we're going to host a memorial service. What are we going to do? And this um, gentleman reached out to me. His name was Al Cooner and he was, he owned the fu- uh, funeral homes closest to my parents' house. And he said, Eileen, I'm a pilot. I was fi- flying, um, in the same pattern as your husband was. And I heard him flying like on the radio and I want to take care of all the funeral expenses. Oh my God. Wow. So Like, okay, now I've, I'm 41 years old. I've lost my husband, but I have a pilot funeral director guiding me. Wow. And then we, he suggested this venue to host um, a celebration of life. I wanted a celebration of life. And it was a business museum with an, a, plane hanging from the ceiling that I didn't even know existed. Like I didn't know that that it was, there was a museum in Baltimore like that. 
So I would tell people stories like that and they'd be like, oh my God, Eileen, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. And there was like so many like sort of interesting stories, like feeling like, you know, I'm in tragedy, but I'm noticing these things and I was growing and in my health. So I decided, okay, well, I want to write this book. And I started writing and I kept um, attempting to write. And then I would, I was like, I don't know what I'm writing. I like, I don't want to write a one, two, three, grieve with me book. Like, what am I writing? And like, I'm like, my story is not that interesting. Like, I mean, you know, everybody's interesting, right? Like, so anyway, fast forward, um, these fits and starts in writing. And then um, I totally believe that my late husband and Mike would, my now husband uh, would attest that he set us up. And um, there was like some crazy weird stories in, around, around our meeting and around our coming together. And then I was, um, and actually opening up myself to having another child actually at 46. So I got pregnant at 46. And it was when I was pregnant with Zach, Mike and I's baby, that I realized, I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is the, the full story. This is the story that gives people hope. Because like where I, and I remember after I finished reading it, I was talking to my sister and I was like, oh my God, I was like, this is the kind of story I wanted to hear when it happened to me. Mm. Those, I think sharing stories of hope, of resilience gives people you know, some, some hope, some, um, like, oh my gosh, if she can do it, I can do it. You know, your story won't be my story. You'll have a different story, but if I can do it, other people can do it. So, um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of the really long story about why, long story short, actually, (laughs) about why I wrote. Well, it seems like one aspect that you can, that you have a quality that you have is just seems like you have this positive energy about you that probably helped you manifest and and heal. And so I'm assuming that you share that. That's part of your whole message. Yes. You probably in your moments of grief, your your deep grief, you probably wanted, like you just said, a book like yours. And so what can you offer just some guidance of if somebody is in that really deep grief, um, what are some of the things that helped you? I think, yeah. So I think a couple of things. One is like, and my dad gave me this advice, like when I was feeling, he's like, you, you've got to be where you are. So when you're in the deep grief to feel like you shouldn't be there or pretend that you're not there or that that's not painful or like try to escape it. Um, it really doesn't work. So (laughs) to be okay, that that's where you are. But I think for me, I don't know why exactly, but like grief for me had me slow down and just be where I was. And it was really interesting because I, what I noticed very immediately um, was that, and the kids were a great messenger for me. It was like, like what I'm upset about is the future, right? Like I'm not upset about this moment that I'm sitting in cause I'm sitting with my kids and I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm upset that, um, yeah, maybe I'm upset that he's not here, but, 
but all of this love that is around me, this mm -hmm. is beautiful, right? But I'm upset thinking about all of my memories in the past and I'm like, I'm upset about thinking about everything into the future. But if I sit right here, like with you, this minute, life is good. Mm -hmm. You know, like life is good. I'm, I'm meeting, the, you know, we're having this great conversation. Um, so, and kids have an a unbelievable ability to just be in the moment, right? When they're playing, whatever they're playing, they're just playing, you know, and they really, like it was Christmas time and when we celebrate Christmas. So they were like, is Santa Claus coming tonight? Like, I want to die. I wanted to puke. I wanted to like, I could barely move and they still wanted Santa Claus. Mm. And I was like, okay, Santa Claus is coming. You know, like we've got to, we've got to make this through. And so I feel like, I don't know, that was maybe a, a convoluted answer, but I think part of it is being where you are and noticing what there is to notice. So. But you mentioned a few things. You mentioned the, I love that you said, don't basically don't push your feelings away. Feel like what your dad was saying, feel your feelings. I always tell my clients the best way through, best way past is through, that you have to go through it. You can't just skip. <laughs> I literally, in my, in my um, introduction, or like what I just say, I was like, there, it reminds me of that children's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Uh, it's like, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. Oh, no, you've got to go through it. And literally, like, there is no way over it. There is no way under it. But honestly, there is, it, it doesn't feel like it, but there is so much joy on the other side when you are willing to go through it. Um, and I didn't know that. Like, you know, you don't always know that because you don't know what it looks like on the other side. Like, what is my life going to look like without him? Like I had no, I was, there was no plans. I didn't want, I didn't want it. So now what? Right. And yeah. You obviously did not ask for it. No, I didn't. No, I did not ask for it. Yeah. Um, okay. So you were saying that you're just going, you, to feel it is so important. And then you said something else that I wanted to towards the end of what you were talking about that I wanted to talk about, but maybe you don't remember. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, that was beautiful. So feel the feelings in order to get past it and to know, and just to, yeah, to, to be present and to be in the moment. That's what I wanted to talk about because being present, you know, there isn't the past and the future don't exist. So, they're, they just don't, they're just not anything. And so being in the past is depression and being in the future is anxiety. So I love that you got to that point where you just realized that just being here now is really all that we do have. Yeah. And it sounds like you mastered that. Yeah. I think probably a little bit out of necessity because trying to be where I couldn't be was like just too much. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, the good thing is that you experience that, that overwhelmingness of like, am I there? Am I here? And probably you just got to the point where, like you're saying, you just couldn't, what, what do I have control over? I have control over like, okay, I can be present. Right. Yeah. Cause there it sounds like there was a lot that you didn't have control over. And I think in being present, I did notice I did notice all these miracles. Like I did notice it when I was present and when I was in the moment, like all of the love that was present, there was so mm -hmm. much love present. Um, you know, 
So that was and cool. how, how did you meet your current husband? So I tell the story in the book, but um, I had met uh, this guy, his name was Bob Mueller, and he was a coach of, of my late husband's company. And he was actually, actually always also working with Mike's company. And um, he did, did consulting. He was working with Brian's board and Mike's, Mike's company. And about eight, nine months after Brian died, I was looking for someone to help me define like, you know, what am I going to do now? I'm not doing that. I'm now back in Maryland. And you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I was literally writing an email to find a coach, getting a referral from someone else. And, and he writes me, he's like, Hey, I want to invite you to this leadership conference that we're hosting in Virginia. Would you like to come? And I, I was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. I would, you know, I'd love to come and I'm looking for a coach. And he says, okay, I'll coach you pro bono. So that was, that was in August. So fast forward until February, about, what is that? 14 months after Brian passed and we were having our monthly call and I had taken off my wedding rings because I was starting and really was the beginning of starting to think of um, opening myself up to loving again. And um, he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, coaches are like, oh, I want you to meet Joe and I want you to meet Bobby and I want you to meet Mike. And I didn't even write any of their names down. But at the end of the call, I said, okay, I'm starting to think about the possibility. And he's like, oh, well, that's why I think you should meet Mike. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, what's his name? So I wrote his name down and I Googled him and I was like, oh my gosh, he's totally my type. He's really good looking. Um, but it took several more months before we were actually introduced. And um, there's a couple more stories in the book, but like I, I was pretty clear when I met him, like there was so much energy between the two of us. And I felt like this trusted introduction and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And there's like, Oh, and, and then why I, I think that, do you want me to tell you that quick yeah. story? <laughs> why I think um, Brian, so I met him and we were just, we didn't go on a date yet or anything. We were just talking on the phone. And then I had this crazy vivid dream where Brian came to me in my dream and I had dreamed about him before, but it wasn't so pleasant. It was like, he wouldn't talk to me or it was like, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. But this dream, I, he, we were at the San Diego zoo actually. And I walked up to him and I was like, Oh my God, he's here. I've got to go talk to him. And, and he turned around and he was like, Oh my God. And I was like, I miss you so much. And he's like, Eileen, you don't ever have to miss me. I am always with you. And I just started crying in my dream. And then I asked him, I said, okay, then what about this new guy, Mike? And he's like, he was like, he used to be a jerk, but he's a really great guy. <laughs> I know this is my dream. I don't know why he said that or what it meant. But anyway, he's like, but he's a really great guy and I've got your back. Oh. And it was crazier. So I woke up and I it was like, one of those dreams, like you're, you have goosebumps, you're like crying when you wake up, like the most vivid type of dream. And then I talked to Mike like two nights later and he's like, Oh my God, I had this crazy dream with, I know with Brian in it. And I was like, do you even know what he looks like? Shut up. He goes, no, he goes, he, I go, we were at a pool and he came up to me with all of his friends. He was surrounded by his friends. And he said to me, Brian said to Mike in the dream, he's like, I want you to take, um, 
I want you to take care of my kids, but I want you to remember that I am their hero and that they idolize me. Wow. This before we even went on a date. Wow. Yeah. And so, it was around the same night that you had the dream? It was like, yeah, like a night or two after. Okay. That's, that's so beautiful. I mean, it might've been the same night. I don't remember now, but it was like nuts. So clear. It was so clear. And then we would go on dates and like, it, yeah, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of trust in a being introduced by someone who knew all three of us. There was a lot of trust just feeling like, and the kids were super open as well. So, um, yeah, they, they actually, I, I, you know, like kids can tell you a lot. (laughs) So, um, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing this story out because I know that you have an amazing story about how he's still with you and how when people do pass on, if you believe that and you're open to it, that they can still be with you. So if you could share that story, and I know you can read it if you want to, because she has a few paragraphs in her book about it, or you can just tell the story. It's totally up to you. Um, I'll just tell the story because it gives too much context, but um, oh, what do I want to do? <laughs> Let me look. Wait, let's get guidance from, from Brian. Yeah. What do you want her to do? Okay, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Just so you can get a sense of it. And it's maybe shorter than me talking about it. Um, So it's a little heavy in that this is actually the experience. So like when I'm I'm sharing about actually seeing Brian's body. There's a pretty heavy scene in the book. And um, Al Cooner, who I already mentioned, um, was bringing me to the casket for the first time. So, but this is where the transformation happened in this depth of, of sadness. So, um, so the notion of seeing Brian's lifeless body was crushing. I wanted to vomit. I had never been more nervous in my life. Once, ago, once again, though, Al took me first and alone into the room with the casket. Al walks widows and widowers to the sides of caskets for a living, and he's good at it. At the casket, he asked if I wanted Brian's ring. I said, yes. I took off my rings and I slid his ring, which was big on me, onto my ring finger closest to my heart. As soon as I placed the ring back on top of his, a transformation took place. I was marrying Brian all over again. I know I wasn't breathing because I remember telling myself, breathe, Eileen, breathe. I managed to take a deep breath. Brian didn't look like himself. He looked like he had lost 20 pounds. I took another deep breath. He looked at peace. Once once I was inhaling and exhaling like a living human being, I reached out. The moment I touched his hand, the recognition struck me that all of this, all of us, foremost, are spiritual beings temporarily living a human experience. How could I have forgotten our bodies are mere containers? Brian had just become a casing. His fingers were cold and rock-like, where mine were burning, weightless, nothing. Our souls fill these bodies with energy, and our breath moves in and out of our lungs. We take up space, and we make our voices heard, and then poof. Brian, as I knew him, was no longer in that room. He was not in in his body, that body. His light had flown. 
Al gave me all the time I needed. And in that time, with our rings stacked in their new arrangement, I promised Brian that I would do everything that we had promised each other we were going to do. I told him, I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You take it from your side and I'll take it from this one. We've got this. Hmm. Wow. That is so beautiful. And I love the way it's written. I mean, the way that it's written, you can really, really see exactly what you saw and it, you can it's it was just such a beautiful picture was that when you were writing that was that hard because sometimes when I write it you know I'm like I just want to get it from here to here like from my heart my head to the paper when you wrote it it's I mean it seems like it just kind of formed and came out yeah so um writing what I've, I've learned over writing and I definitely, I hired a, a wonderful woman, Christine Fadden, who helped me cause she, she was a writer and helped me write stories like that and helped me. Um, and it really is speaking from your heart mm-hmm. and, and there is a bit about going back to where you were like in, in remembering the experience because we often, you know, we move through life, we've moved through it. Right. And then um, in order to write, you actually have to go back and be there. And so there were a lot of times when I write about that and, and um, I'm actually doing the audiobook right now okay. and I will find myself crying at certain parts, even now, even though I know it's on words and we're past, you know, it's like, but, um, and I think, and, and actually good news is too, there's very funny stories in here too and joyful stories. So those were also fun to write, but it is about um, recreating it so that the words can really create a picture of what it really, really was like. And um, yeah. Well, it's so great. I'm just getting the sense that you're very in touch with your emotions and I work with people all the time to just express their feelings and get in touch with their feelings and, and be their feelings and share their feelings. And so I feel like whether it's overtly or covertly, you're going to inspire your readers to, to just experience their feelings. Yeah. And actually I've, I've said to a lot of people, like the process of writing the book, it was like another level of healing. Right? Because there were, um, you know, I think there's all, always layers upon layers upon layers, right? I guess until we go <laughs> and who knows what's on the other side. Lots but, of learning always. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of healing. And, and though I was healed enough, right, to write a book or whatever, but I felt like there were moments in the book where I, I just really got at peace. And I think part of that for me personally was having compassion for myself. Mm. I was because I am strong. I am resilient. I am, you know, a buck up. Like I can do this. I am positive and I made mistakes and I wasn't always strong and I wasn't always, I'm not perfect at all and don't really want to, you know, tell everybody that, but like I can have compassion (laughs) for myself and share that. Right. Because that is what it was for me, you know, like, yeah. So I think that that part of it was healing too. So 
Well, it sounds like you are being, you are very vulnerable. And when we are vulnerable, we are relatable. And so, and no one is perfect. Yeah. And to have that self-compassion is one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself. Yeah, it is. It's crucial. <laughs> it's actually really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question for you is, can you tell us about this legacy that you've, you've built and how you're keeping Brian's legacy alive? And I know you, you, you have a fundraiser that you do. Yeah. So, um, we've done multiple things and I think that's, um, I think that's one of the beauties of like, like, like carrying on someone's legacy and that it doesn't always have to be the same thing over and over and over. And I, um, like when he first passed away, he was in the solar energy industry. He was the uh, CEO of um, Aminex, which is a solar panel manufacturer down in Seal Beach. And he had co-founded Sun Edison and he was very influential. So there was a lot of people that wanted to honor him, honor his legacy in the solar energy industry. So actually some great friends um, of mine in Huntington Beach and our community that we lived with, um, they we put together a fun run and we raised money for the first time um, on Earth Day for the BDR Solar Schools Fund. And so we did that for about five years. We were a project of the Solar Foundation and we put um, solar panels. We helped multiple projects um, get solar panels so that kids could have a real firsthand experience with solar. And then we've done some other um, renewable energy and environmental focused um, legacy work. This past fall, I actually took a group of students from Chicago to the UN to take part in the a conference for climate restoration, which was phenomenal. And it was kids from all over Chicago. So kids from um, Inglewood and, um, you know, private schools, public schools, alternative schools. It was, it was really great. So we're, we're doing that. And then Brian was a huge, he was an entrepreneur. So we've done, um, you know, entrepreneurial type, support like fast pitch contest type of support in his honor and then really like yeah, i'm looking over there like the kids are there because they're not but <laughs> but like really you know like you know making sure that they you know um know who their dad was like knew you know what he valued what were you know how funny he was or hilarious like he is and um you know the way just to acknowledge them and um, I don't know, just make them feel like they are part of his legacy, right? They're, they're his biological children and um, supporting things that, you know, he would be super supportive of even, you know, even if it's not something I would do, right? Like if he would do it, like that whole promise, like if, you know, we would do this together, like I often think I have an amazing partner in Mike, thank God. And he is an amazing father and he's adopted the kids and he, they are like his, um, but he's not Brian. So like sometimes we have a conversation, like a simple one, like Max wanted a new uh, computer and Brian was, a, you know, went to MIT, like he was a computer person. And even though I was like, does he really need one? No, but I guarantee you, uh, Brian would have bought one. 
right? Oh it's a little, but it was like, yeah, of course you can get a new faster, whatever computer. So yeah. Is, that's amazing. Cause you're, you're, you are keeping him alive. Yeah. And, and I think the thing about grief, and I think this happens with all people, but it's like, and I know, notice this, especially with the children, is it, it actually moves through time, right? And they grieved as a four, seven and eight year old would grieve, but now they're almost 13, 15 and 17. And they now are, you know, emotionally developed, like, you know, from a developmental perspective, having to process new things about losing their dad. So it is important to, to keep his memory alive. Um, and I think what's really interesting and i do feel incredibly boss, but Mike is completely supportive of that. And, um, you know, I think he's grateful. He's like, Hey, I, you know, thank you for this family that I got to inherit. Right. Like I got to pick up and, and have these amazing people in my life. And I wouldn't have had that without him. So, um, which is unique. And I think it's beautiful. Like the whole idea of family um, couldn't have imagined that that was possible. Right. And, and now here I, I have this, you know, family, family. Yeah. And it, we, we go up to Brian's cottage with his mom and his dad and his sisters and cousins and extended family every summer. And we, have them over Christmas. This past Christmas, we were everywhere. We're with his family, my family, <laughs> and Brian's family. So um, it's good. It's good. I love it. Well, I, I can just sense so much joy from you, but also the, a sensitivity to to Brian. And I love that you're that you include him in decisions and and what would Brian do. Oh, it just, it's, it's so beautiful. And I also love how you just brought up how you were talking about your kids grieving at going through different phases, but it is so true whether you were a kid or you weren't a kid when you have loss that you are going to have go through different phases in life and grieve at different times. Right. Yeah. And things will trigger you, right? Like things will. Yeah experiences, you know, the high school graduations are coming up. We went through the eighth grade graduations or just, you know, you know, the girls are thinking about where, what do they, where do they want to go to college? And although one my, my one daughter's like, you know, no offense, mom, but you know, you didn't go to where Brian went to school. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and she's like, I just really want to ask him. Like, and I was like, like where should I go? Yeah. Where should I go? What do you think? What do you, you know, what do you, what do you think he would say? And it's really interesting. Cause I think, you know, I, 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 we were just having this conversation. I was like, well, I know what he would have said as a 38 year old man. Right. Cause that's when he passed, but I, and I know the kind of human being he was, but now he would be 40. How old would he be? I don't know. 40. I can't do math. He'd be like 46. <laughs> so what would he say as a 46 year old, you know? And what would he say as he grew and matured, right? Um, and I said, you know, and there's a ton of people that you can also ask, like his peers. Like you can ask his friends, you can ask his mom and dad, you can ask his sister, you can ask all kinds of um, people that also knew him and knew who he was and and how they've grown. And it's like, we're all like holding space for Brian. Um, 
And yeah. she, they can also ask him. Yes. They get quiet and they connect and they can just ask him, right? Yeah, I do. I tell them that. It sounds like you're, you're very connected. Yeah, see, you're saying that you tell them that they can ask him also. They might not be as comfortable, but I feel like as they get older, they will. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they'll, just like you have seen signs, they're going to see signs that he's around. They'll have dreams, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think they, ha- they have at times. And sometimes I think they're yearning for it so bad. And they're like, where is he? I just, how come you get signs, mom? And I don't get signs. You know, I was like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're not seeing your signs or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that whole, all that works. So when he's supposed to visit, he will. Yeah. Um, Okay. So where, where can people buy your book? And can you tell us about any events that are coming up? I know you were going to be having some in-person events, but I think now they're online, but maybe you're going to have in-person in the future. So tell us. Yes. So um, you can buy my book anywhere books are sold. So it's available. It's distributed through Simon and Schuster. So you can buy it at um, I, my press is City Point Press, but the distribution Simon and Schuster. So everywhere, like you can go to your local bookstore if you want to support them, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you know, anywhere books are sold. And you can also go to my website and click. And um, and then one thing I'm doing is wait, what is your website? It's uh, EileenRobertsonHamra.com. Okay, and um, Finding.com. It wasn't taken. <laughs> Amazing. And it's the book is called Time to Fly, Life and Love After Loss. So people know that. And events. And events. So um, I'm actually having some virtual book clubs. And we're going to launch a, a book club product. So like if you have a book club that um, you can actually buy books directly from me and I can give them to you at a discount. And then if you want, I could show up for half an hour or an hour or however long uh, virtually. So I think it's kind of interesting because um, yeah, I did have lots of plans. I was actually supposed to be live with you and then, you know, with friends in Huntington beach and in West Hollywood and here I am not there, <laughs> but, um, but I'm trying to take advantage of the virtual book club um, on some podcasts. Um, I'm on social media all the different platforms you go to my website you can connect with me and i would love that and love to hear feedback and yeah that's all well i'm i'm so excited for you that i'm so excited for you that you've written this book and i'm excited for the the readers people that are going people who people whose lives are going to be so inspired and changed by reading your book thanks i hope so that's my that is my hope for sure is oh, it's, yeah it's already happening, I'm sure. Thanks, Jamie. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Eventually, we'll have to do an in-person in the studio when things are back to. Yes, I would love to meet you in person. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so you have to let me know when you actually are in LA for the for those events or just yes. there. Yes. Um, and as always if anybody has any questions and you can't reach Eileen or just questions about the show in general um, my website is therelationshipexpert.com so thank you so much for joining us viewers thank you Eileen and I hope everybody has a wonderful evening thanks for joining us and love talk live
You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.